So, Nelson, yeah. welcome to the Tej Talk Show. Tej, I feel honoured. Thanks. <laughs> well, I should be honoured to have you on board because I was um, reading your LinkedIn and I know I think I counted something like five different accolades and awards, like the South East Asian entrepreneur. Uh, you were in the top 100 companies to watch. There was just, I mean, I can't even remember. There was so much, right? Flattered. You, you, well, yeah. <laughs> and so it'd be really interesting because I also read on your first sentences on LinkedIn was you came to the UK because your parents fled Sri Lanka because of civil mm. war, right? Yeah. And you like to talk in the third person. So if we could keep this in, in first. Let, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so awesome. I didn't actually come to UK. So I was actually okay. born in an exotic part of East London called Barking. Okay. Um, for yeah. anyone who's had the privilege of, of going to Barking, uh, you know, I don't understand why it commonly gets referred to as uh, one of the most disadvantaged boroughs in London. Um, I thought it was amazing growing up there. But my parents actually um, fled Sri Lanka um, during the period of the Civil War um, to move to the UK. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, I guess that kind of experience is not to be taken lightly. It's a pretty kind of big thing to have to flee your home. And so, you know, do you think that what your kind of, you know, what, what your parents have learned and been through, has it influenced you in any way that you then bring to how now? Now? Yeah, 100%. I think that the reason why I mention it and I speak about, um, you know, my parents fleeing Sri Lanka and, and, and coming to the UK is often, you know, we talk about entrepreneurship and starting a business as a risk. And actually, to me, having to leave everything you own and have into what you call home and to come to a foreign country without a choice, it wasn't an, an economic decision, you, you, mm. you had to leave. Yeah. Um, and you arrive in this foreign land, you've got to figure out how to do things, you've got to learn the language, you've got to try to find a home, get a job. To me, I don't think in my lifetime I'll ever take a risk anywhere near as monumental as that. So to me, whenever I think about a risk, I go, actually, compared to that, this is not that big a risk. Because I ask myself, what's the worst case scenario if I start a business and it fails? Well, I'll get a job. And that's not too bad because that's what everyone does anyway. And so my worst case scenario is what most people's norm is, then actually this isn't much of a risk. Um, and so to me, whenever I think I'm taking a risk, I think about that. And I think about that's a risk. And... I'm yet to take a decision that compares at any level to the risk that mm -hmm. they took. And, and it's the same for your many migrant families. And, you know, if you're um, a son or a daughter of, of, of migrants, you, that's really what you should be thinking about. You know, did your parents take that risk for you to do marginally better than what they did? You know, yeah. all right, they bought a three-bedroom house. So is success for you buying a four-bedroom house? Is that why... They fled civil war. Is that why, you know, they worked their arse off to give you security? Mm. To me, I don't think that's why they did it. Okay, so it, it sounds like you feel that they have taken all this risk, worked their asses off to kind of provide you the platform to then 10x it as such yeah. to kind of do way yeah. better, right? Yeah. And is that something that you have, as an adult, look back on and say, actually, you know what, they've done this, I need to do this? Or did they kind of instill it in you through their actions and words and things like that? I think, I think you build better relationships when you stop looking at people as labels and start looking at people as individuals. So by that I mean, the moment you stop looking at your mum as your mum and your dad as your dad and you start looking at them as this individual with this name, I think you appreciate a lot more um, 
the decisions they've taken, the actions. Um, and also you're less, I think, forgiving of certain mistakes they've done. You know, sometimes you could be more forgiving because it's, it's my mom who did this. I need to love her either way. But actually, if you strip out that label and look at her as, as an individual, um, you'll be like, actually, no, that isn't, um, acceptable. And so when you strip those labels away and I look at these two individuals and the decisions they've taken, that to me is like, I, I start comparing, is that something I could have done? Could I have taken that risk? Could I have taken that decision? And I think it's at that point. It's the moment I started taking away labels. It's the moment I started appreciating the decisions they made. And a part of that was appreciating the risk they had taken. And hence, I have this platform, as you mentioned, um, and making the most of that platform. Um, I imagine it's same for you. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's, it's it's similar for sure. I think they've they're now very safe. They're now very we're settled. Mortgage is paid off. Yeah, whatever. And I'm just like, no, but there's all this equity. Let's remortgage your house. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's do stuff with it. And they're like, you what, mate? Yeah. So yeah. it's really interesting because um, yeah, it's like yeah, they've worked hard for it, and they're now at a point where they want to stay there. But I completely agree. See, with and, you. and and I don't blame that. You know, oh yeah, when, 100%. We, when we talk about you know, parents who put an emphasis on traditional careers and that kind of stuff. I, I don't blame them no. because, you know, if you fled what you called home, you were uprooted and security was taken away from you. Mm. So you spent most of your life trying to find security. Yeah. And so because they spent most of their life finding security, they don't want you doing the same. But I think it's our responsibility to tell my parents that, look, you spent your life looking for security because you had to. Mm -hmm. But you've given me security, so I don't need to spend my life finding security. I have that. Yeah. What I'm trying to do now is build on that security. And I think it's our responsibility to tell them, I get what you've done, but now I need to build on this. So in a sense, would you say we are entitled in a way that we have this kind of luxurious platform to then take risks from and and mess up and fail a million times where they couldn't? I don't um, know if that's the right word. I don't, yeah, that I was going to say. I don't think it's necessarily entitled, but you have an opportunity. Mm -hmm. You've been given a chance, yeah. right? Maybe a chance that they didn't have. You've yeah. been given that chance. Now, the question I would ask of myself and everyone should ask themselves is, am I making the most of that opportunity? Is, yeah. is me doing... You know, like I mentioned before, it's me getting you know a house with an extra bedroom or a slightly bigger car or you know living a, a far more comfortable life than my parents did. Is that me making the most of that chance? And if your answer to that is yes, then then fine. I think for, when I ask myself that question, to me, I was like, that is not me making the most of that opportunity. Yeah. And so, you know, speaking of how now, what do you think from what we've kind of said? What are maybe the the, the two key things that your parents have given you and then this kind of attitude but you that you tangibly apply within how now that if i asked your team they would say yep he does this he does that so i would say there's two things so one thing is you know my dad named me after nelson mandela right? okay and if you ask my two brothers they were you know my older brother was named after Che guevara my younger okay. brother was named after mark antony and so Mark Anthony the salsa singer uh, no, no. <laughs> Mark Anthony uh, the, the leader Cleopatra's husband okay. um, so you know iconic figures so my dad wow. was always of the mindset that you know you're, you're here to do something incredible and what he mm -hmm. meant by that was to add value so my dad's always been politically involved uh, you know in, in Sri Lankan um, politics and he's always been quite proactive and to him, it's all about adding value 
to the people around mm. them. And this is fundamentally the thing that drives me within our business is, or any business I've done, is to me as an individual, any decision I make, I look at how much value A, I can add to myself and B, how much value I can add to those around me. Yeah. Now, business for me is just a systematic way to add more value to more people than I ever could as an individual, right? So business is a vehicle for me to add value. Mm. And that's the reason why I run a business. The second part that's come from my parents, my environment, is I think one of the single determining factors for me of a trait of an individual in terms of how successful they'll be is not what they know, but it's how willing they are and capable they are to learn new things. Right. Could you throw them out of their comfort zone and could they figure it out? I think that's more telling than meeting someone who knows a lot to start with. Yeah. Right? And so, and that underpins what we do at How Now. It's the idea of people being able to monetize their knowledge, but also on the other hand, people being given the opportunity and accessibility to learn whatever they want to learn. Um, and it's that. And I guess those two things kind of underpin what we do at How Now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sounds fantastic. And sort of on that question, I guess it's kind of a two-part question. What do your parents do for work or what did they do if they retired? And then secondly, what is the tech gap like between you and your parents? Um, right, so my mum runs the house. Okay. Um, my dad is retired now, um, but he's done multiple different jobs. Um, his last job was, was working at a post office. Okay. Um, in terms of tech gap, you know, actually, I would say it, it wasn't significant as such. Like, we're, we're, you know, my dad's on Facebook and, and, you know, he's a regular in retirement. I think he's found the whole YouTube black hole and he can't seem to get out of the recommended videos. And, and my yeah. mum has, um, you know, likes watching TV shows and soaps and stuff like that on her, on her iPad. So as a, as a regular consumer, they're, they're, they're active. Um, yeah, so to that extent they they use tech um but yeah they don't know and come from a tech background neither do my siblings so yeah. yeah and so i'm guessing from what you've told me do they kind of fully understand what you're doing why you're doing it and support you or are they kind of like get a safe job no, so for a you know for a while they were like that mm. and you know i've been running businesses for most part of the last decade now so you know in the early days it was that you know my my mum seemed to have this well I don't know where she got this visual from, but I think it's from like yesteryear movies of, of her kids coming back from work and handing um, the salary over in, in like, you know, an envelope full of money. And I was like, mum, they, you know, they're paying you in cash in your most places. Don't it doesn't work like that. Um, but I think it was more so with extended family. I remember even at a point where with my last business, we, we had a team of 10 people. I, I always had this uncle who would always ask me, you know, when are you going to get a job? And I was like, <laughs> there's always that one. I was like, oh, you didn't realize like that. There are 10 people I've given a job to, but he was like, no, no, but when are you going to get a proper job? And, and so, yeah, you know, some people, it, it takes a while. Now yeah. we don't have that, you know, now they've seen the, the way certain things have gone and, you know, success is, makes it easier to explain yeah. certain things and, and gives you a bit of credibility. Um, but, you know, one of the things they never did, my, you know, even my parents, is they were clear, they didn't understand what I was doing. But because they didn't understand it, they didn't talk me out of it. Okay. Right. And, and you know, a lot is said about 
people being supported, yeah, it's great if people support it. But I think there's also a lot to be said about someone who's not pulling you back and trying to talk <laughs> you out of it, right? There's, yeah. there's a confidence in silence. You know, they're confident enough in my ability to make a decision mm. to be quiet and, and watch me make the mistakes or, yeah. or take the decision and then. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Very interesting. So let, let's kind of jump from, from friend, um, family to friends. So tell me about your closest group of friends. And, and the reason I ask is because being, you know, a startup founder, you're probably working long hours, you're probably doing a lot more work than a lot of people just working normal jobs. And I find friends kind of keep you sane, take the piss out of you a little bit, kind of, you know, do what they need to do. So, like, tell me about your kind of group of friends and how they've helped or not helped you, perhaps. Tech, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, like, many people have asked me many questions, but this is not one that comes up often. Well, I um, and I think it's it's an underappreciated aspect of someone's life because I think the single most important thing you will choose in your life is are, is, are your friends, mm-hmm. right? And I think they've had the most amount of impact um, just in terms of, you know, you go out with a set of friends and, you know, I do believe you're, you're some of the five closest people around you and, and they're the ones who are able to look past, um, you know, above and beyond any kind of inhibitions. There isn't a fear to, to tell you the truth. There isn't a fear to, to question your insecurities and, and to tell you how it is. And um, so, you know, my closest friends are uh, predominantly my friends from university. Um, but also, um, you know, from school. And the closest, uh, you know, one of them is an entrepreneur and running a franchise business, but otherwise everyone's in a job. And, and during the period of time when I was starting my first business, you know, they were like, okay, what's, what's going on there? And out of concern. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's what you would do. Because for a good year and a bit, I would sat there not making, you know, much money not being able to really do much in terms of going away on these great holidays and stuff like that. And you, know, you sit there every Friday when we meet up for a drink and you're like, nah, yeah, it makes you question, am I doing the right thing? You know, these guys <laughs> seem to be moving up in their jobs. And, yeah. But you know, during that period of time, they're always you know, showing interest and supporting you even when it's difficult and challenging you to make sure you're making the right decision. So I think it's, it's a significant part. Yeah. Same for you. Absolutely the same for me. Yeah. Um, I have certain friends. Friends in uni, school? You know what? It's it's kind of weird. So I do Bangalore dancing. Oh, right. And so my group of closest friends has kind of come from there. Right. University, I didn't really hang out with the right crowd to... I didn't have a good network, let's say, in terms of getting anywhere in business. So yeah, it's, it's a weird mix, actually. And now you've mentioned it, actually. I don't. I, I need to think where they've come from okay. because yeah, they've yeah. come from really different places. But yeah, absolutely. Keep you grounded. Teach you how to do things that you never could do before. And it kind of compliments, right? It's like yeah. having a business network. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. and what you say, the Liz, it doesn't matter how, you know, successful or whatever amazing thing you're doing. When, when you have your group of mates, it, it grabs <laughs> you straight away. Like, you know, it, yeah. you're back to how you were when you first met at, you know, 18, 19. And absolutely. And it brings absolutely. you back there. And um, and that helps, right? And and even to take you away from the mindset of constantly, you said you work long hours, running a business can sometimes be quite a lonely process, especially when you're starting up. So to have that around you where it takes your mind away from mm. that. Um, and, you know, it, you could get into, if you're surrounded constantly by people who are in startup, you can get into a group think mentality. You know, yeah. every, everyone's reading the same stuff, everyone's watching the same, everyone's listening to the same stuff. So to be surrounded by people who you love, who kind of can talk about other stuff and, and kind of widen your perspective mm. in that sense, I think it's so important um, to get out of 
people who are in just the startup yeah. ecosystem and, and you know learn other things and find out about how other people do things. Absolutely. And it's good you kind of mentioned the, the loneliness of the startup and that kind of group mentality because um, I think mental health is something that people don't talk about, especially men, especially sure. Asian men, sure. um, at all, really. I mean, I know with my friends we kind of do, but we're just so open. But I know that within my community it's not a thing to talk about. Sure. So if you wouldn't mind, like, how, you know, what was your kind of emotional journey or your mental health journey of that kind of loneliness of like being in a startup, not making money and thinking, actually, I may not make money, got bills, I've got this, I've got that. Like, how did it kind of affect you if it did? Yeah, it, it did. Right. And I think, you know, sometimes you don't know what you're going through while you're going through it. And, and you know, that's why hindsight is a beautiful thing. You could look yeah. back and go, oh, actually, that was probably this. You know, that was probably me struggling with this. And, um, but it, it's a learning process where you ask a lot of questions, right? Because the, the other thing is, you know, when you're in a job and when you come out of uni, for a long time, you've been a part of a system. Yeah. And the system almost comforts you, regardless of whether you like it or not. It's comforting to be a part of something, right? Whereas this, you're building something from scratch and you don't know where to begin. It, it, it's a strange phenomenon where I always look at um, starting a business. And if you went for a job interview, they would ask you, you know, have you done this before? What's your job experience, etc. But starting a business is one of those rare things where someone is willing to trust you with millions of pounds to build a multi-million pound business, although you've never built a multi-million pound business. <laughs> but they won't give me a job, but they're willing to give me millions to build a business. And so there's this pressure of, I don't know what to do, mm. and but I need to figure this out. And... But money's going to run out. And so I use this analogy of, it's like you're jumping out of a plane. I need to put together my parachute. And and if I don't, I'm going to hit the ground and that's me running out of money. Yeah. And when I get close to the ground, I raise a bit more money to buy myself a bit more time. But I still need to figure out this parachute. And that pressure, there aren't many people who you can talk to. It, it, you know, I didn't have you know many friends or family who would understand that level of pressure. Mm. And so... One of the things I definitely recommend and one of the things I do a lot of now is get yourself a mentor. I cannot recommend this enough. Get someone who you can look at and go, you know what, I'd like to kind of take the trajectory that they've taken Mm. and they will be able to openly talk to you about what it feels like to do this and what the difficulties are, what the ups and downs and emotion thing is and make you realise actually this is not abnormal. You know, it's... It's sometimes very much part of the process. And I think get out there, you know, find a mentor. If you can't find a mentor, that's the great thing about co-working spaces and, and with the startup ecosystem. You can surround yourself by people who are on the same journey. So it might be a lonely process starting your business, but you're surrounded by other people who are also on that journey yeah. and you find comfort in that. Um, so yeah, I think for me, I've, you know, there were times where I think I didn't acknowledge the fact that I was dealing with a lot of stress because mm-hmm. I never showed it. My personality type is to be quite mellow a lot of the time, but it doesn't mean it's not having a physiological impact on you. Yeah. And I think I hit one point where I did have a breakdown, where I think I just kept on putting it to the side, putting it to the side, putting it to the side, thinking this nothing, I did this, I did this, then you break, right? And, and it could be anything that pops that bubble. And then you almost need to step back, yeah. drop everything you're juggling and go, okay. And... That's where I think the question of why you do what you're doing is important because you will have many of those and what you've got to at that moment remind yourself is, okay, why do I start this again? Because it's easy to forget. You you start a business for a reason 
12 months down the line, you're asking me to go, why did I start this year? <laughs> and it's important to remind yourself, otherwise you just lose your way. Absolutely. So I, I hope think, that answers the question. No, yeah, yeah. yeah, it does. And I think most startup founders would kind of go through a similar thing to yourself. And I think if, if anyone says their mental health isn't challenged or affected in this process, then I think they're lying um, because it, it's kind of going to happen. But it's interesting. You mentioned get a mentor. So I think that's quite a useful tip for anyone listening who is kind of starting up or thinking of starting up. And so secondly, what I kind of gathered as well is to kind of work, maybe step back, kind of work on the business, not in the business, but also work on yourself. Yeah. Everyone likes the number three. So give me your third tip to, you know, running or starting a successful business. I know you you kind of were in an article in the Telegraph, right? Yeah. You had a paragraph. So what would be your third tip? I've already taken away two. Uh, for starting a success. so what, what what are the two let me remind me here so, what, so, what the, so the one is get a mentor yeah the second is step back step back in, yeah. from everything right essentially cool that, our third one 100% is, is continuously learn right is I think sometimes you get you get caught up on, on doing you know this is similar to I guess working in the business and doing day to day stuff but learn learn not just about startups and, and growth and growth hacking and, and marketing yeah that, that's great but what got you to this point is your character is your personality is mm-hmm. your thought process your ideas and that didn't come from you knowing business processes that come from everything else that made you who you were yeah. and so you've got to keep feeding that you've got to keep feeding that person and um, that curiosity and that could be about anything you know you know, like and i find that as a common trait from entrepreneurs I, I meet. Like, you know, I, I like to know a lot about a lot of things. Right? I'm just curious. You can call yeah. it nosy, but I just want to know what the hell is it happening at. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so I think that appetite, keep feeding it. And I think that's what maybe making time for yourself is, is about, yes. is, you know, that time for you to, to keep learning and keep upskilling um, mm. yourself. And, you know, this the important part that's really, I guess the thing that's contributed to that massively is reading. Like, oh yeah, you know, I, I 100% wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for books. And what are you reading right now? Um, so the second part of Sapiens. So reduce. Yeah. So I listened to that on audiobook. It's so dense. Like every sort of 40 minutes, I just turn off and think about what he just said yeah. because especially in his kind of like noble voice, yeah, like yeah. it's just he really brings out some really good points, and you're like, do, do you find it difficult? Like this is a question on audiobooks. Are you more audiobooks than reading? No way. I am. I find it very difficult to do audiobooks, especially if they're not. Um, so if it's an audiobook on like property investment, which I'm I'm doing at the moment, right. and if it's giving me facts, 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 fact, no fluff, love it. I will stay concentrated on the tube. The second it's Sapiens or something, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, asleep. Yeah, yeah. You know, what? I I tried audiobooks. It's and I'm that guy who reads like two lines and stops and has to, <laughs> has to stare into the space and, and think about it and I was like you can't do this he's moving on you can't keep stopping and starting you, can't, yes, yeah. um, you can put it on two times speed though or 1.5 that's what I do now because right, okay. you can understand it and you learn more a lot quicker I think maybe it's you know it's quite a meditative process reading in itself so I yes. quite enjoy that but what I do like and I'd recommend is Blinkist I don't know if you've used Blinkist I've heard of it so I think there's, there's certain books that they didn't need to be as long as they were. 
Um, like I don't know if you read. I think I'm sure there's definitely quite a few. Like how to win and how to win friends and influence people or something. How like, to make friends? Did Dale Carnegie? Yeah. yeah. So awesome. it, that book and there's another one called Start with Why. Um, Simon Simon Sinek. So these are two books that come to my mind where I think. They didn't really need to be that long. Yeah, right? I can see that. And, well, and yeah. like, especially start with why. I think you know he should have stopped with the YouTube video. Forget start with why. <laughs> he should have stopped with the TED talk. Sorry, um, because it captured the essence of what mm. it was. And I think this is what Blinkers is really good at: is books like yeah. that, where it's like you know with how to win with friends and influence people. It's essentially I think it's ten commandments of, of how yeah. to do it. And I was like, well, you know, there is example after example. But actually, if you just wanted to get digest. Mm. In 10, 15 minutes, tell me. Okay, this is it. And yeah. I think Blinkist is really good for that. I'll definitely check it out. It's interesting because I agree and I disagree because... Have you heard of Ryan Holiday? Ryan Holiday, yeah, yeah. So he has a, he has a book about being a stoic. Yeah. And so his book, the yeah. whole thing is a repetition. Yeah. And I didn't realise this until I read it. But without realising, it changed the way I think and behave without me having to be like, okay, read this book, do this, do that. And it's because it was 200 pages of repetition. But you know what? So I, that, I think, I is slightly different. I think like anything philosophical, like, you know, anything, like Wayne Holiday's book or there's um, the Marcus Aurelius book on stoicism. Mm. And um, yeah, there's, there's a few others like that. Within, like, philosophy, mm. and I think it's different to okay. you saying, here's a book on uh, growth hacking, and, and essentially, there's, there's there's ten strategies I'm going to tell you. And yeah, so what I want to know is I want to know the strategies, and then then if I'm interested, I want to look at the examples and the case studies. Yeah. Same thing with you know start with why I I, I love the ideology, right? Yeah. The ideology, the concept behind it is incredible. Yeah, you've given me now you know like ten different examples, <laughs> and and you've laboured the point, but I got it when you you know when you did the TED talk and you explained this, I, I got it. It was compelling. <laughs> And so I think it's it gives you that option. Yeah. And and I think it is. I've used it in that way. There's some books I've heard the summary for on Blinkist, which I was like, "This is incredible. I mm-hmm. want to read more." And then I'll pick up the full book and I and yeah, I'll read fair it. Enough. Um, whereas I wouldn't do something like that for you know Sapiens, for example, yeah. which is one of my favorite books I've read in recent times. So yeah. Okay, no, I'll have to check it out, definitely. The thing with Sapiens is I got bored as soon as it became about modern humans. Oh, really? So when it was like cavemen using like coins for money, yeah. and then as soon as it was like modern, I was like, I'm done. Oh, mate, I thought it was incredible. I, just, yeah. I, I think I need to give it more time. Yeah. 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 I don't I'm, think it's a book that you necessarily have to go start to finish. Like, you need yeah. to like knock it through. I think it's one of those, yeah, do a few chapters, yeah. take a break, read something else, come back. I think and, I need yeah, to do that. Because it, it is dense. Yeah, everyone does rave about it, but I'm so used to reading books for just like facts, yeah. business information. Sure. That's how I kind of work. So you read in your spare time. Mm. Being a startup founder, spare time can sometimes be a luxury. Mm. What else do you do? Do you play any sports? Do you, um, I write. Do you knit? Okay. You I write. Have knit. <laughs> that would have been a cool one. That, that I'll, I'll work on that one. Next time you ask me, I'll say knit. Um, no, right. So my background okay. was a filmmaker. So, you know, Ma- made, Barking Mad. Barking Mad yeah. Productions. So, you know, we made short films, commercials, we made a feature film. Award winning? Festivals, award winning. Yeah, just to mention that for yeah, everyone. Yeah, um, And so, you know, we used to write and make films. And so you know, it's my first love, and I absolutely love you know, watching films, but but also writing. Um, so so I still do that. And that still takes me out of this startup yeah. world and, and, and gives me that um, space. Um, and and you know, sometimes it sounds strange. I just like listening to music and going for a walk. Um, yeah, I, to me, I think music is 
you know, I was actually talking to a friend quite recently about what's that one art you couldn't live without, like you know, mm. books, films, or um, your music or whatever. And I, I, I don't think I could live without music. Like, you know, the, the, the idea of it has played such a huge role in my mood. Mm. Like you know, I could be in a bad mood, and it can bring me out of that bad yeah. mood. Um, that I think, yeah, I think just sitting there and listening to music sometimes is, is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good question. I don't have an answer for that, but it's something to, to think about for sure. So, if I remember correctly, you've worked at L'Oreal mm. and you've worked at Apple. Yeah. So, I think we've kind of answered this in bits already, but I'm, I'm kind of curious to know, how do you go from being an employee? So, you know, in those kind of companies, I guess a number, because yeah, yeah. they're so big, to being the boss, to being everyone's paycheck every month, to being everyone's mortgage payments every month. Sure. Like, how, how did you kind of go, how did you transition? Yeah, sure. so, the, so the first part is when I decided to leave employment, it wasn't because I wanted to start something. It was because I didn't enjoy working in a big company. As much as both of these companies are incredible companies, actually great culture, it was, it's the consequence of being a large machine. You are always, it's difficult to be so significant in terms of, it would take time to get to a point where you're so significant within yes. such a large machine. Yeah. And I didn't like that. I didn't like where, and you know, at L'Oreal, sometimes it was, you know, they're, they're, they're a huge company. And, you know, sometimes you would suggest things and, you know, they would be like, look, we're a hundred year old company. We, we know what we're doing kind of thing. And so that might be the case. But to me, that's not where I wanted to be. So actually, I left with the intention of either joining a small company or starting my own. It just happened mm-hmm. that I had something I was compelled by enough to give it a shot in terms of um, starting. Uh, a business and one of the things that really helped me was what my line manager asked one of the best questions I think someone's asked me and I, I've shared this with so many people is you know I was offered a another job within the same company or a promotion and I was hesitant and he asked me to look around the room um, an open plan floor and he said do you see anyone here doing a job that you'd like to be doing and I looked around the room and I couldn't. And I said, no. And he said, then you're in the wrong place. If you're not in an environment where you can't see progression, um, where you can't see someone where you're like, I want to be doing that. That's what I'm working towards. Then you're not in the right environment. And to me, the moment he said that, I was like, I'm out here. You know, this is, that's 100% true. What am I doing here? I don't want to move up. You know, you, it makes sense if you're within a company because you're like, I want to be that partner one day and that's what I'm working towards. But if I don't even want to do that, then what the hell am I doing in it? Um, and so that was enough for me to, to leave and so that was the kind of leap. Hmm, absolutely. So Nelson, I know before you mentioned the London startup ecosystem, I think that's a great word to use to describe it. And my podcast is kind of about diversity, hence why you and me are having this chat. Yeah. Um, you know, so do you think that the London tech scene is kind of doing diversity well? Do you think it can improve? And if it can improve, which I'm sure it can, how do you think maybe people like you and me could go about doing it? Sure. I think before we go to the question of is the London ecosystem doing its part, as communities, we need to ask ourselves whether we're doing the part, right? Yeah. And, and because you can't blame, uh, you, you can't put all the blame on the ecosystem, right? And I think the first step of that is when I started my first business, I didn't know anyone in my friends and family network who had started the business, right? 
And when I looked out there in terms of who are other people who look like me, who've been successful entrepreneurs, you know, there was a handful and, and it seemed so far away. You know, yeah. at that time, you know, when I graduated, there, there wasn't, ex- this ecosystem didn't exist. You know, mm. if you look back a decade ago, you know, right now people graduate with the intention of starting something or working in a startup. That wasn't the case. There wasn't a startup job fair when I graduated. And so the idea of, you know, identifying people who've been successful so I could go, actually, so-and-so has done it. So I could do it. There wasn't that there. Yeah. So I think the first thing we need to do is bring visibility. And it, because it's not the case that there aren't, you know, ethnic minority or in my case, South Asian successful ones. There are. It's just, it's fragmented, yeah. right? It's very fragmented, very scattered. It's very difficult to, to kind of identify. And so our first thing has got to be highlighting these success stories and bringing visibility and i think your you know your um attempts to do that is is appreciated because that's what we need is is we need more visibility so someone thinking about starting a business today can look around and go yeah so and so did it so and so did it i could probably get in touch with them to get a bit of support um you know or just find confidence in 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 telling their parents no no look so and so has done it it's feasible yeah. And I mean, that's one of the first things we need to do as a community is bring about visibility. Yeah. The other thing is, as, as a South Asian community, we need to be able to support, you know, financially support, as well as in terms of advisory capacity, support young entrepreneurs coming through the community. And, and this is where I think what, um, say, for example, the Jewish community, I absolutely admire what they do in terms of building a support infrastructure for young entrepreneurs who are coming out of the Jewish community. I know many Jewish entrepreneurs, and if you ask them where their first bit of capital came from, it came from the Jewish community, and it's not even, uh, you know, family and, and friends. It's the community supporting young entrepreneurs. Mm. And we need to do that. You know, there have been a lot of successful South Asian entrepreneurs. We need to bring these guys together and say, look, how are we going to support the next generation of entrepreneurs and, and put your money to work, put your expertise to work? Once we do all of that, then I think the ecosystem can play its part in in terms of capital, in terms of um, you know not just diversity in terms of um, ethnicity, but also diversity in terms of gender. Mm-hmm. Um, is you know VCs and investors making a conscious decision um, to to step out of their comfort zone? You know we we have our biases, right? And and to acknowledge you have these biases and look beyond that and. Interestingly enough, I think money is a pretty good leveler in the sense where if you're a money-making startup, it doesn't matter, I think, to, you know, whether you're white, black, brown, if you're a man or a woman, you know, money in that sense talks. Yeah. And, and you know, if you're a financially sound investor, you're going to put your money where your money's going to grow. And so that, in a, in a way, does level, um, you know, it does bring diversity in, its sense, so in, in itself. So what we need to do is get more people playing. Mm-hmm. Like get more yeah. people playing, get people, um, you know, the access, the, the backing, the expertise. So that's why, um, you know, I'm one of the founders of British Tamil Entrepreneurs, um, which is a network I started with two other friends who are both entrepreneurs in their own right. Um, and, you know, it's because of this. It was a conversation yeah, like this. Yeah. And we're like, what are we doing to bring about visibility, identify entrepreneurs in the community and to offer them the support they need? Um and I think more of that, and and, and we'll, we'll get more people in. 
Yeah, no, great, great answer. And, you know, kind of going, and this, this question we can talk about for hours, but why do you think the South, sort of Southeast Asian community isn't as open or maybe helpful or isn't giving as much access? Do you think it's something inherently in how we're raised or our culture, or do you think it's just the way it's happened? So I've had many reasons and many people's explanations for why this, why they think this is, you know, all kinds of, you know, I, I don't know, you heard the crab story, people pulling the crab analogy, I don't, I don't think necessarily I agree with, but it said, you know, it's this mentality of, of like, if you had a bowl full of um, crabs and one starts to climb, the other crab will pull it back down again. And yeah, <laughs> I've, I've, I've asked like successful entrepreneurs, uh, successful South Asian entrepreneurs, why is it this way? And I've heard this story and I don't buy that. Right, I, I, I don't buy that. If I think we're all rational enough to understand, mm. you know, all these making all these individuals successful helps the overall community. You, you know, if you've got, if you're open-minded enough, you will acknowledge that. Right, this will help everyone. Right, yeah. having all these success stories, supporting people uh, to grow helps the overall community um, and society in, in, in general. And if we can have that open mind, I, I think what's happened is there's the generational thing which we spoke about before, which is we had a generation of people who maybe built lifestyle businesses around security, right? They are successful entrepreneurs, but they they were they didn't really see what they were doing as amazing. Yeah. To to them, they were like, you know what? I don't have the language proficiency to to get a job. So the only thing I could do is uh, maybe get a service station. Oh, look, one's doing really well. Let me get 10. And then you become a massive entrepreneur. You're making money. But they never got into it thinking, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. They got into it thinking, this is survival. I need to make money. <laughs> and so I think it's that a lot of them I've met is because they don't really see themselves as having done anything mm. in- incredible. Or they're like, they look at the new kind of wave of digital entrepreneurs and they're yeah. like, what value can I add here? And the other thing is there wasn't, you know, we have a tech crunch now that can, you know, hype up and identify all these incredible entrepreneurs. You know, in the South Asian community, where, where's that? Yeah. Right? And so it's it's that kind of thing. We, we never had something like that. You know, where, where do I find out about these incredible South Asian? So I don't think the infrastructure was there. And it's yeah. the same case for, you know, within creative arts, it's the same thing. You know, a lot of my friends are, you know, independent musicians from the South Asian background. I know filmmakers from the South Asian background. It's that infrastructure, mm. right? It's that infrastructure and support network isn't there. It's fragmented. Yeah. And, and I think it's that. And, and people weren't too consumed by making it happen and, and survival that they didn't really think about the network, which is fair play. You know, we, yeah, we were all yeah. thinking about how do I become successful? How do I eat? Yeah. And then wh- where do you have the time to think about how you're going to eat when I'm trying to put food on my table? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a really interesting point. I think, yeah, it's quite insightful I should hear that. Because I think what I've always thought is us Indians, you know, we get rich and then we kind of keep it to ourselves. We don't really tell anyone because like, you don't need really yeah. do that. And it's like, yeah. I'm here for me, not for you. And yeah. So it's interesting to hear that kind of, you know, they didn't actually think what they were doing was awesome. Because it's kind of opened my mind up as well. So I appreciate that on a personal level to, to help me kind of understand that. And you know, speaking of kind of cultures and people, being a recruiter, I have to ask, you know, how difficult is it to find people in your kind of team? And and again, a really kind of open-ended question, how do you kind of maintain 
or attract kind of diversity within your team? Right. So it's a great question. I think the hardest thing about running a company is people. It's hard to find your people, then to build a culture, to keep people motivated. You know, look at it. Human beings are complicated. Very. And you got to deal with each human being's requirements, life plans, motivations. Like you said earlier, mortgages, I'm getting married, I'm getting this. And so actually one part is motivating them about work progress. But a lot of the time, my one-to-one catch-ups are actually about their personal lives. And, uh, and you know, how can I help them find mm. some kind of balance and um, be an understanding work environment for them? And so it's the hardest thing. So finding people is hard. Right, we're hiring right now, so you know if you're interested in working with me in in how now, do get in touch. Tedge, hook me up. Yeah, uh, let me know. I'll uh, I'll introduce you to him. So um, yeah, so beyond that, in terms of that, I guess as we grow, maintaining that it's it's difficult, right? Right now, we're at a stage where you know everyone interacts with me, right? I do all the hiring. And so there's a certain vision that I have and a certain culture I personally bring to the table, mm-hmm. um, which kind of can rub off on all the things I do because yeah. I have direct contact with it. So I guess the challenge for us is moving forward, how do we scale that, right? And, that, and that's something yeah. for us to think about. Um, you know, certain things that we do have, you know, I know a lot of companies, I used to laugh in corporates when they used to have values because they they would say corporate values and they were so wishy-washy. Yeah. Anyone could have come around. You, you could sell a template to all corporates and to have them. And so when it came around to me putting together something, I was like, it's, it's less, it, you know, when you look at it like that, it's not corporate values, but these are the things that, you know, I stand for mm. and I would want the company I built to stand for. Yeah. And if you agree with these, then let's do this together. And, yeah. and you know, there are things like, um, you know, we don't have on uh, email signatures, we don't have email, um, company roles, as in what you're okay. working on, because I think it's limiting, right? Because, yeah, your key uh, responsibility might be business development, but if you've got a bit of expertise or creative flair that can contribute to marketing, why should you feel limited by your yeah, job title? Yeah, of um, so, you know, that's one example of how I'd like to switch it up from what my experiences yeah, have been up yeah. in corporate. And the other thing is, you know, I always like the saying, when someone goes, what do you bring to the table? I like to say, I bring the table, right? And I <laughs> I'm going to use that. Right? And, and I want that. everyone in the team to be like that. Yeah. You know, it's not a question of I'm bringing this one thing to, I, I'm bringing that table, right? So we'll, we'll start that. the conversation. We'll make things happen. Mm. And I think it's people who, A, believe in that culture, and B, is the vision, right? And the vision is... You generally need to find, especially in something like this, I think you need to find someone who believes in in education and what we're trying to do, like disrupt digital learning and democratize education and believe in that bigger vision. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's crucial. And and so I think finding that balance is 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 tough. Yeah, it's a very good answer. I bring the table. I love that. Any interview I go to, I'm going to just, I'm going to make sure they say, what do you bring? I'm, yeah, I'm going to set it up just <laughs> off just to be able to say that. So, you know, this is a question that I think most interviews ask at the beginning, mm-hmm. but I think as you're hiring, it's important if you tell people really briefly what How Now does, yeah, yeah, what you sure, are. Sure. Um, so basically, we're a educational software company. So we provide you the tools to create, sell, and deliver digital learning. 
Um, but we do that slightly differently, right? So what we think is the current product category, if you look at the space that we're in, they're called learning management systems. Yes. And we think learning management systems are broken, right? Basically, they came about at a time, what I like to refer to as e-learning 1.0, which was, it was just about, let's get online. So think about how they used to teach in front of a whiteboard in a classroom. They're still doing the same thing, but the only difference is they're doing it online, right? So it was just about the mere digitization of content but it was never about enabling learning online. So how do we use smart digital technology to completely change the way we learn? I'll give you one example to illustrate that. If you look at e-learning 1.0, it's all about, I take a course, um, I do five lessons and I take an assessment, you get 70%, I get 30%. We would both still see the same next lesson. So the platform has done nothing with the data of identifying my knowledge gaps and seeing and recommending the most relevant content for me and customizing my learning pathway. Why not when you have this data and you have the technology to do that? And so that's what we do. We bring in smart technology to deliver a flexible, um, you know, a personalized learning experience. And we work with educators of all sizes. So we have, you know, someone who's making thousands of pounds a month teaching yoga from their living room um, and selling yoga courses. But we also work with the likes of, you know, Easy Hotel, who use us to deliver internal training within their organization um, because, you know, they're able to now deliver training that not only is accessible from anywhere, do it on your laptop, do it on your phone with our mobile app. Um, and it's also flexible in terms of content type. You could do an audio course. You could do a live session with someone on the other side of the planet. Um, you can mix and match with pre-recorded videos, etc. So, you know, overall for us, what we're doing is we're empowering and enabling educators to essentially teach anyone anywhere in the world, right? And by empowering more educators to monetize their knowledge and deliver learning, it creates more accessibility for people who want to learn anywhere from the world. So if you're passionate um, about disrupting this incredibly huge space of, of digital learning, and, and you know, you're either interested in, in business development or, or dealing with some of the incredible clients that we work with um, or digital marketing, then get in touch. Get in touch with Ted, you know, work <laughs> Definitely. Well, it doesn't that, that kind of covers, you know, all the kind of questions I had. And I think I've, I've learned a lot from you in terms of different views on our kind of similar cultures and, and kind of how to see things. So, you know, again, like thanks on a kind of personal level for, I guess, kind of opening my eyes to different things and, and for your time. And I think anyone listening is definitely going to have a real insight into you as a person. I feel like I know you quite well already. And it's, it's still, you know, it's only let's like, hang out. <laughs> dude, definitely. Um, and it's only been like 45 minutes. So yeah, like, thanks. Cool. Thanks Ted, so much. Thank you. And thanks for taking the time out. And it was, it was great in the chat. And thanks for having me up. No problem. You're welcome back.